about the stories behind the studies of the well-being and and uh, happiness world what uh, we've got today is dr. Ziggy Santini or who we've got today is dr. Ziggy Santini he's a epidemiologist from uh, Copenhagen and if you if you're someone who's trying to advocate for the importance of well-being and you haven't heard about Ziggy it's time to wake up uh, Ziggy and his team have worked on um, some really great papers you know just very very referenceable papers, basically, um, showing the the economic and health benefits of having high levels of well-being. And that basically, you see um, these benefits across a range of different indicators increase um, sort of in a dose response uh, as, as well-being increases. So, um, yeah, enjoy the episode. I think he's a, he's a funny guy. And, um, yeah, I really enjoyed having this conversation with him. Um, in terms of the, the show more, more broadly, again, thank you to, to everyone that's been listening and subscribing. Please continue to do that, sharing with one other person as, as I've kind of asked in the last couple of weeks. Um, but we've had a few generous offers to support the show and some questions around how do we support the show. And basically, um, what I'll, what I've done is I've set up a locals account. Um, locals is a little bit like Patreon, but it's slightly different. It's a little bit more sort of community focused. Um, so there's a link to, to the locals. It's, you know, it could start at basically $5 a month. Um, and, and if you are interested in supporting the show, that would be really, really great and really appreciated. Um, what we're hoping to do is to set up some weekly catch, uh, monthly catch ups, um, for people who are supporting the show on locals. So with that, thank you very much and enjoy the episode. Whoops. I'm back. I forgot to say something. Um, you guys know that, uh, I'm all about the dual continuum model or we're, we're all about the dual continuum model or getting to the bottom of, uh, what's going on with this model. Should we be using it? Should we not be, I have my answers, but, um, if you remember, we wrote a, um, we wrote a commentary article, um, basically arguing for the dual continuum model recently. Um, basically saying that, uh, we think that it actually, um, strengthens the future of positive psychology as a field more or less when i posted about that on social media i got a comment from from uh what i was calling my boy ziggy santini who said actually i see where you're coming from but i disagree and so we get into that in this in this episode uh near the end probably in the last uh 10 20 minutes or something like that so little spoiler or a little teaser i guess um enjoy all right, Ziggy Santini on researching happy. Um, I'll do a really quick. I couldn't. I couldn't find much of a bio for you, Ziggy. Um, really? No. Well, I mean, I didn't look super super hard. I guess I looked on the website, but it okay. said you're a <laughs> you're a researcher from the National Institute of Public Health in Denmark, and you're also yeah. a you're also have a position at uh, Southern Denmark University. Yes. Well, technically, these two are kind of the same. The National Institute of Public Health is a is a is an institute that is that comes under the University of Southern Denmark. Great. Okay. So yes. you're a, you're a, you work in public health and epidemiology, but also covering obviously well-being and and psychology. Yes. Uh, anything yes. else we should know quickly in terms of a bio? 
No, also, uh, I'm, I work also at Copenhagen University, just to make it more confusing. So I, I, okay. I sort of, I work part-time each, each place because I work on several projects. So, uh, so two different universities, but we work right. well together. Are All they, good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are they physically close to each other or are they far away? Yes. Well, it's because University of Copenhagen is in Copenhagen and the National Institute of Public Health uh, is under the University of Southern Denmark, but is also located in Copenhagen. So therefore, oh, they're both in Copenhagen. Yeah. Very good. Cool. Yeah. I um, was just at a, a family sort of event and my little cousin was saying, um, I said, I've got to, I've got to go because I'm doing a podcast tonight. Uh, and she said, I said, it's with a guy in Copenhagen. And she's like, the ice cream, the ice cream store, you're doing a podcast in an ice cream store? We've got a we've got a like a, a, a franchise of ice cream shops here called Royal Copenhagen. I don't know why. I don't know if that's okay. a famous thing from Denmark, but I don't think so. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, we definitely have something like that. There's like a a brand called Royal Copenhagen. They usually make like porcelain and stuff like that. Um, I'm oh, really? Sure they make ice cream. <laughs> no, not to my knowledge, but uh, I'll have to look that up. But uh, usually they make very fancy and and can be quite expensive porcelain. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, so that didn't quite make it to Australia, obviously. Okay. I, I think so. I'm, I'm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't. Uh, it, I might be incorrect about the brand. I, I'm not sure. But this, as far as I remember, Royal Copenhagen. Yeah. Either way. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, cool. So, I mean, you just said before we before we press record how laid back Australians are. So, I think it kind of makes sense that we would we would preference ice cream over fine china. But anyway, um, so <laughs> so you're a well being researcher, Ziggy. Tell us a little bit about the work that you do. Okay, well, uh, I'm a, I'm technically I'm a, an epidemiologist, which. Uh, no one knew what that was before the pandemic, but now everyone knows what it is. So, but uh, but I'm a trained uh, epidemiologist. I uh, specialized in, uh, in in mental health epidemiology, and especially uh, social relationships in in mental health. And uh, so I, I I I do sort of I do public health research, and uh, I look at mental health in the population well-being in the population we're especially interested in well-being uh in connection to mental health and uh, and we're trying to uh, we it's the, the the sort of like the, the broader focus the wider focus of the whole population uh how can we improve mental health in the population and uh, what are the the factors that are associated with it and uh, and, and yeah how can we how can we work with the the, the public and engage with the public in a way that can uh, promote mental health um mm. that's pretty much yes that's just very brief what i'm doing yes. yeah cool so <laughs> in terms of i'm just i'm always interested in hearing how mm -hmm. people came to find well-being because i i think at the yeah. moment most people have sort of fallen backwards mm -hmm. into well-being like it's not something they probably started with yeah. um is that is that your experience um Sort of. Well, I mean, the, the way I, I came into it was that uh, initially I was doing a, a, a PhD in, in mental health epidemiology at the University of Barcelona. And, uh, and that, was, uh, that was pretty much just the, the broad uh, mental health umbrella 
and I suppose most of the focus mm -hmm. was still on mental health problems, mental disorders, and so forth, which is still very important. But but nevertheless, uh, I remember there was maybe I maybe we had two lectures on something on uh, well-being and various ways to measure well-being and so forth. And I remember I didn't actually find it that interesting. <laughs> so, but then. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, so I was sort of like, and initially in my PhD, I have mainly focused on sort of like uh, mental disorders, common mental disorders and stuff like that. And uh, so um, initially it wasn't really something that uh, I paid too much attention to. But then what happened later on was that I was, uh, I, I mean, during, as I was approaching the, the, the end of my PhD, I was, uh, I, I, was I, I knew that eventually I'm going to have to move back to Denmark, which I was also happy to do, uh, even yeah. though I love Barcelona. But uh, I would have to move back at some point in time, and, and naturally, as would every, as would anyone, I started to look for what what was going to be my career pathway when I when I moved back there, and uh, mm -hmm. I connected on uh, on LinkedIn with a person called uh, Vibeke Koshil, and she's uh, she's now the the head of institute at the Institute of Psychology at University of Copenhagen, where I also work now. Uh, but uh, but she was. Uh, she was doing mental health uh, and well-being research, uh, well-being science, yeah. and uh, and she was also uh, the person who adopted the the, the Act Belong Commit, uh, which is yes. from Australia. Thank you for that. Uh, so uh, the Act Belong Commit, or we call it in Denmark, just the the ABCs of mental health, and uh, and 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 so so she had imported that model to Denmark and also she had worked very closely uh, with the and had done also some uh, prior education in uh, in Warwick University with Sarah Stewart Brown mm -hmm. and uh, so she also uh, was responsible for importing the 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 Warwick Edinburgh mental well-being scale to Denmark and uh, then uh, I was I, I met her online and we started talking and she said that the uh, I said, well, initially, she, I saw that she posted something about that they received uh, a lot of money from a foundation to 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 uh, to do the the ABCs of mental health or the Act on Commit in Denmark, yeah. yeah and then yeah. I saw that post and I, I wrote to her and I said, uh, well, uh, I see you're bragging about all the money that you received. So uh, since that's the case, <laughs> why? <laughs> how about hiring me? <laughs> and. Uh, and I suppose that can actually work, as or it did. And uh, and she said she needed someone to do some uh, some validation research, because they had translated the Warwick Edinburgh Mental Wellbeing Scale into Danish, and they had sent yep. it out on a survey, and it needed to be validated in the Danish setting, along with some other measures. Yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, I uh, I said that sounds interesting. I'd love to. And then, of course, there were also other research uh, research work that needed to be done, but the, that's really how I got into this. Yeah, my my first uh, mm. sort of uh, I also I mean I published other things along the way when I started here, but the first major maybe relevant mental health uh, no mental well being task was uh, to validate the the war again mental well being scale, which we did, and we found out it works well in Denmark. It's a very good scale, and uh, I think it's also right. yeah. quite used and, and in, uh, in Australia too. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've used it for a couple of our like evaluations of our randomized control trial as well. So just, I mean, for a bit of background for the listeners, the idea that, um, you know, all of our work hinges on how accurate our measurement tools are. Um, and clearly this work gets done all around the world and people speak different languages. So there's actually a process of making sure that um, in translating a measure that it actually, you know, that it resonates with people and it actually has the same psychometric or statistical properties um, across cultures and across, um, you know, nations. So did you have to do much in terms of um, like cultural testing of, of the items? Mm, well, I mean, no, not really. I mean, it's a, we, we did, I mean, it's it, because it's, it's all a Danish survey. So it's basically just to see if, uh, if it's valid in the Danish setting. And, mm -hmm. and then sure enough, we have yep. areas, we have some different ethnic, ethnic groups and so forth, but, uh, but, but, but mainly we're just, we were just interested in seeing kind of like what, what, what you were talking about, uh, really, does it, does it measure what we think it measures and it, does it measure it well? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty much uh, yep. what we, uh, what we concluded from this analysis. And of course we did some, uh, what you call, uh, uh, sometimes it's called uh, differential item functioning, meaning does it does it work in the same way for different groups? Uh, and it's mm -hmm. also called measurement invariance. And that's pretty much what we did. And, uh, and yeah, so we, I mean, we could see that across different groups in society, it also works the way that we want it to work. So, yeah. Yeah. Great. Mm -hmm. Great. And, and just as a side note quickly, what, what are you doing with that measure? Is that being measured at an mm -hmm. epidemiological level, like across, across Denmark or how does it? How does it work? Yes, well, in the sense that yes, we have we have various surveys now that are using it, but initially it was uh, my boss who who brought it to Denmark when no one knew about it, and uh, we had right. some other measures yeah. that are that are, that were not as good or not as uh, broad. So, uh, and and uh, and what's also really important about this is that it sort of it, it measures the the whole well-being. Uh, continuum from from low well-being to, mm -hmm. to high well-being and and of course this has also been a, a major uh, interest of ours is to look at uh, the importance of higher levels of mental well-being yeah because uh, mm -hmm. historically most of the most of the focus has been on poor levels of of, uh, of mental health and uh, mental health problems specifically and so forth uh, but uh, then has been out there's been uh much research especially from positive psychology and so forth showing that that it's a it's really not just a matter of escaping these lower levels but that higher levels have something to say as well and it actually makes a, a difference for all sorts yep. of outcomes that we have higher levels of well-being so a part of our, our role has been First off, to sort of repeat what what has been what, what people say all the time, by the way, uh, because of the WHO fund, uh, definition says that mental health is, is more than the absence of disorder. Yeah, so people say this all the time, mm -hmm. but it's not actually something that is uh, that is still integrated in the system. Um, so what we have been out and, and really expressing also with our research and, and our uh, and our results is to say, well, yeah, that is actually correct. It is more than just the absence of mental health problems mm. because we have to uh, promote higher levels of well-being in the population 
And if we do that, then we're going to see better results. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that has been something that we have been very focused on with our research. Um, and then we have uh, that. Then yes, since then there has uh, been various uh, other, well, also among our colleagues and so forth. And we have uh, where they have, they have, um, we have sort of succeeded in in promoting this measure, the scale, uh, to say this is what we also need to do to be able to monitor. It's still not. Uh, mm -hmm. I would say it's, we're still not completely where we'd like to be because we. I mean, in my view, this is something that has to be monitored on a, on a on a regular basis uh, nationally because the only way that you know if you're mm -hmm. doing something better is to monitor it. Yeah. Uh, sure. So uh, and 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 a nation would have to do that on a on a regular basis to know, uh, quite simply, are we are we going in the right direction or are we going in the wrong direction. Yeah, so uh, we still have a lot of work to do, but that said, we do have uh, several other population surveys and so so forth uh, where they are taking this scale and and using it, and uh, and that's a it's a very good story. Yes, that's very good. Yeah, absolutely. Are you? Because mm -hmm. um, I know I know for example like. Um, in the Netherlands, they use, I think, a lot of well-being measurement in their mm -hmm. routine assessment for clinical outcomes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Are you aware of that happening? Like, you know, that sort of like that ideal state of what you're talking about of regularly measuring well-being. Are you aware of that happening anywhere in the world? I don't, I don't think so. I, uh, I mean, I, no, I, no. I know in, Me in, in, I know in Bhutan, they have a, <laughs> I know that they, they, yeah. They have. Uh, they basically they uh, they they assess the nation's success uh, based on happiness and well-being. Now I'm not sure how they how they measure it and how they monitor it, but they they just have a completely different focus for their policies. They have this, uh, uh, and which I don't understand what the rest of the world is waiting for. But they have this just this this general priority. That uh, well, a nation's success should primarily be measured by the, 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 the a nation's happiness or well-being, and if that's not the major yeah. outcome that we're yeah. looking for, then what are we looking for at all? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. exactly. And I, to be honest with you, I mean, that's I'm probably going to make people sick when I just keep asking the same question, which is like, mm -hmm. you, you know, I think like we'll get into it, but I think your research paints such a clear picture. Why aren't we seeing anything actually change? Um, what I was going to ask you was, um, you know, you've worked, if, you, if someone was to pull up your CV and look up the papers that you've published, you know, it looks like you've worked across many different topics. So, you know, things like physical activity, loneliness, social participation, isolation, cost, effective, cost effectiveness of well-being. Mm -hmm. I was wondering whether you could sort of walk us through the story of what wraps all of this research up together. I think you've probably answered it in a way, but maybe you could say mm -hmm. it nice and clearly for us. Yeah. Okay. Well, yes. I mean, there's, a, there's probably sort of like a, there's probably two sort of, uh, or maybe like there's three tracks, if I would say, yeah. One mm -hmm. is just basic uh, mental health promotion, meaning that uh, the, the importance of, uh, of higher levels of mental well-being. Uh, and yeah. how do we, how do we, how do we go about getting there in society? Yeah. In a, through the system and uh, through various, uh, all the things that are going on in society. 
Another thing is the, 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 the factors and what we have been very interested in is sort of behavioral and social uh, factors that can contribute to promoting good mental health or high levels of mental well-being. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes I use these terms interchangeably. Uh, I will say something like higher mental well-being. Sometimes I also re just refer to that as good mental health. Sometimes it's a little bit easier for people to grasp. But uh, let's say that there's a, sure. there's a, there's a difference. Let's say there's a, there's poor mental health. Yeah, this is usually where we, people have mental disorders and so forth. Then there is sort of like a chunk in the middle this, that we can call moderate mental health. And then we have uh, a, a, some people that have very good mental health. Yeah. So it's a, if you will, it's it's the absence of not just poor mental health, but it's also the absence of moderate mental health. It's that you have good mental health. Yeah, they are in the, yeah. or you can sort of picture yeah. like a traffic light and you have like the, the red and then you have the yellow and then you have the green. Yeah, and it's it's getting people up in that green area. Yeah, that's good mental health. That's yeah. higher levels yeah. of, of mental well-being. Yeah, so that's sort of like the third yeah. one. That's these behavioral and social factors that can contribute to um, improving uh, or getting people up there in that green area to good mental health or higher levels of mental well-being and then mm -hmm. of course the last thing is sort of like the the economic um importance yeah these are probably those three tracks that i've been working on and for the first one is is is, is really in terms of uh, the importance of higher levels of mental well-being or good mental health and basically what we have done with our studies is is to show that these have the this has uh, this, is, this, is, this has very important consequences for all sorts of outcomes. And what we have shown is that, and, and now again, we're talking about that it's not, we have sort of like, we have like three levels. You have poor mental health, usually where you have mental disorders, then you have moderate mental health, the big chunk in the middle, yeah, maybe like 70% of the population. And then you have the part in, in the top, so like, 15% of the population, good mental health. Yeah. And then of course, 15% in the, in the other end, poor mental health. And, and what we have shown is to say that, uh, that it's not just a matter of escaping or preventing that people have poor or bad mental health, because then they will just be in the moderate, but it's that it makes a difference when they come up in the area called good mental health high levels of mental well-being. Yeah. So of course yeah. there will be a better, it will be a better result when they have moderate as opposed to bad mental health or poor mental health, but it will be even more so when they have high levels of mental well-being. And that's the whole point that we should have higher ambitions. Yeah. Because you can imagine with a, with a depression uh, scale or depression measure, then uh, if, if we were to just simply uh, just succeed in avoiding that a person will cross over that boundary from no depression to depression well they're still going to have a very low level of well-being they're still not going to be well yeah? yes they just they will just not satisfy the the criteria for having an active depression yeah but they will still be mm -hmm. they will be in a very bad state yeah so that's simply not enough to just have these boundaries as criteria mm -hmm. And uh, so what we've been trying to show with our research is, is, is to do exactly that. And then we have showed that the higher levels of well-being, the better the outcomes. We have shown that when you have higher levels of well-being, well, you have uh, you 
the healthcare costs are lower, both in terms of the like uh, general physicians, uh, outpatient treatment, inpatient treatment, uh, medicines. So uh, healthcare utilization is lower. Uh, we also showed that the that the it, the, the sort of like the, the benefits, social benefits. For example, if you are if you are on sick leave, uh, then you get a compensation from government, at least in Denmark. Yeah, these are also lower. So the, the, the government has to compensate less, less if you have high levels of well-being. Uh, we, all, we also showed that the productivity costs are lower with high levels of well-being. And that's based on um, that's based on number of, of, of sick days, uh, sickness absence mm -hmm. away from mm -hmm. uh, away from work uh, during a year. And we can say that these uh, we, we can see that these uh, the costs are also much lower the higher well-being every time it's showing the same sort of like dose response relationship or the same stepwise that uh, moderate mm -hmm. is better than low but higher is better than moderate and low <laughs> so uh, mm -hmm. the better mm -hmm. your mental health is the higher your mental well-being is the better the outcome yeah and uh, and these are just what we have been able to show is uh, is productivity costs are lower in terms of sickness absence but we also know that the the association with with not just absenteeism but also presenteeism uh those costs are much mm -hmm. lower as well so presenteeism is like when you are when when you are at work but you are not producing well because of poor mental health mm -hmm. yeah and and there's yeah, a huge yeah, amount of, yeah. of loss to companies and so forth because of, of lower productivity during work when you're at work. Um, so these should be even higher than what we have documented with through absenteeism. And then of course, yeah, I think that's have, a term yeah, that people ahead. really don't understand. Mm -hmm. No, I was going to say I just think it's a it's a term that people haven't um, they're not familiar with that idea of pre presenteeism. Yeah, so you're not absent, you're present, but you're really not doing very much work. But please yeah. continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's it's really. Uh, I I agree that it's, it's probably not so so well known. But I think uh, anyone who has worked, which is most of us, <laughs> knows from experience that they when we're not feeling well, then of course, it's, yeah. it's it's difficult to to do your job well. And it's not just whether you can do your job well, but it's also. I mean, it can be dangerous in some uh, in some in some work context. It, it can be dangerous if you mm -hmm. if you if you are not able to concentrate and focus on your work, you can make mistakes uh, that you or someone else can pay the price for. Uh, and, and some occupations can be very, very, uh, very dangerous. Uh, and, and also it can be just something general, like like traffic, like uh, driving a bus or whatever it might be. And, and if you're not well, then it can lead to more mistakes. So uh, the cost can be quite high. Also, other than just like the economic costs, but also it can lead to other things as well. But either way, so uh, and what we have shown also with our studies is, uh, for example, that uh, that it has it has implications for other sorts of outcomes as well. For example, you mentioned physical activity. That's something we recently showed that uh, that also high levels of mental well-being. It also is associated with that you're you you do more exercise and you're 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 much more likely to to uh, to adhere to exercise recommendations and and then that of course will lead to lower uh, 
for example, risk of uh, cardiovascular diseases and uh, all sorts of physical health problems because you do more exercise. Mm -hmm. But again, we see the same pattern that the, the better your mental health, the more the likelihood that you're going to do more exercise and uh, and uh, engage in to a, to a sufficient degree in uh, in exercise. Um, and uh, and and currently, I have an, uh, I have a, another paper under review that's uh, sh sort of showing the same thing, but also, uh, but but this time in terms of uh, of pain. So uh, in terms of uh, in terms of pain, then uh, I mean people they 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 report pain for all sorts of various reasons, and uh, and and it can be a, a very debilitating problem for some people when they experience pain. I think we all know that. Uh, every that's that's very intuitive that uh, that that pain is a severe uh, impediment to your quality of life if you experience pain. Uh, we don't notice it when we don't have it, but when we have it, then we notice it all the time, and we want it gone. Yeah. Yeah. So and 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 yeah. what this uh, what what these results are showing uh, is is the same pattern that the that the higher well being you experience, well the the lower the risk for experiencing pain at a later time point. Um, so, uh, yeah. and these are just, these are just a handful of these, uh, where, where these studies where we have showed these sort of patterns. So they all just, uh, they all just, mm, they all just really say the same thing. Yeah. That the higher men mental well-being you have, uh, the better is the outcome for a human and, and, and by extension for society. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really what we've been trying to then say with our research to, to the public and to the people in, in power, that they, this is something that has to be prioritized. We have to raise the bar. Yeah? And we're not saying that they shouldn't do other things that are important. We're not saying that they should not improve treatment, uh, psychiatric treatment, for example, because they absolutely yeah. should, because this is uh, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that the whole healthcare sector is uh, it's, it has huge problems, and especially in, in mental health, yeah. in, in psychiatry. Mm. So uh, there's definitely a need there. So uh, they definitely have to. We definitely have to prioritize that better and do better in that regard. And we also have to continue to do regular traditional prevention. We're not saying we shouldn't do that. <laughs> what we're saying is we have to do more. <laughs> we have to do more, and we have yeah. to raise the bar in terms of what should our what should the the, the population's mental health be like what should their mental health status be like and starting the, the the beginning of that is to monitor it and to be able to see are we mm -hmm. where are we going are we doing better are we doing worse and then to look at what's working what how can we see the differences all this stuff we can we'll never get anywhere on this is integrated in the system uh, until it becomes a, a, a regular uh, aspect of, of policy and uh, and what our state does yeah, I've heard like a parallel. So thank you. That's awesome. I mean, just in terms of the measurement thing, I've heard a parallel where some uh, workforces are saying, actually, if we want if we want to be focusing on well-being, it should be like a standing item of our, you know, our, the indicators of our employees' well-being should be a standing item on our board agendas. Um, yeah. And I can imagine you're almost saying the same thing at a country, like at a national level. Yeah. Um, a few comments I just wanted to make. So the first thing is with your, you know, low to high to low to medium to high well-being um that's that's reminding me that we need to talk about the dual continua at some point um because people that have listened to the show so far will know we're friends of the dual continua model on here and when i was yes. writing about some stuff on linkedin i saw 
my boy Ziggy Santini comes in and says, I see where you're coming from, but I disagree. And it's like, all right, cool. Let's, let's talk about that. We can talk about that in a second. That's, that's okay. I don't want to get distracted too much. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's like, I'm just thinking, you know, you seem to be, you you know, you or your, your team, uh, just as a quick question, how big is your team that you're a part of? Um, I would say we're about uh, maybe seven, eight people. And then, of course, I have colleagues that I collaborate with that are not in my own team, but they are in my institute uh, or they might also be at at other institutes or other universities. And sometimes I also work very much internationally. But 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 just my own team is maybe like seven, eight people. Yeah, cool. So from your team, just in the papers that you've published, maybe in the last five years, or even it looks like you've done a lot since 2020, to be honest with you, but um, just it's like, I'm just thinking you're part of the National Institute of Health. And because you're collecting that great data from some national um, panels, you are able to do this great research. So that seems to be really well set up. So you're kind of like, you've got the data coming in. And you're showing you've got separate papers on, you know, the importance of higher well-being, like you've just said. So now coming on pain, on physical activity, presenteeism, absenteeism, sick leave, healthcare usage. Um, you said that higher well-being equals less, uh, less risk of future mental illness, less physical illness. Who, who's picking this research? Like, you know, what I mean is from just within one team, you've published what I think is an extremely clear business case for a government uh, mm-hmm. that we should be investing in getting people into that high level of well-being or the green light on the traffic mm-hmm. thing. You mm-hmm. know, h- how is this how is this received? Well, <laughs> um, it's hard to say, really. It's uh, I mean, I I would say uh, on the on the positive note that the. Uh, that, that, that recently the, the, the government has made like a, a 10 year plan to improve the psychiatry where they have devoted some money to this. And then, and they have also uh, in, set, some, set some money aside of that money to, uh, to mental health promotion and included us okay, in that. Cool. Uh, that's a start. I, I, but I, I, of course, uh, I, I would need to mention also that initially they, uh, uh, the plan was to to make this a uh, let's see uh, a sixty billion kroner uh, investment <laughs> from the government side, and it ended up being six billion, I think. Um, so, <laughs> and yes, and there was okay. various reasons for that, but just to say that they, uh, there's pretty much agreement that this is not the whole thing, and 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 but then you never know when the government comes back and says, okay, now we're gonna you know, follow up on this. And now we're going to do it right. You never know that we might just be chasing a rainbow. So we don't yeah. know it. But, uh, but there was definitely some disappointment and some uh, and and but but nevertheless, that, that was part of it. So we know there's been some uh, at, at some that there are some people that are listening. Uh, but on the other hand, I would say that they, I mean, it's always difficult with politicians because uh, they 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 focus on the things that they, that that they think is most likely to get them reelected, yeah. And it's always difficult mm-hmm. with this stuff that we're working in prevention and mental health promotion, because for this stuff you also have to have you have to have patience. 
Yeah, this is this is long-term investments. Yeah, and politicians they uh, generally just focus on four years, <laughs> at least in Denmark. It's uh, it's it's yeah. an election period, yeah. and that's it. Oh, so I they have to show results. Yeah. yeah, they have to show results in in those four years. So uh, so there was always be some kind of like a, a, a lack of incentive for them to uh, to to really think long-term, and that's that's a major problem. Mm -hmm. That's a major issue. So, uh, but then of course, uh, and then I, I covered now track one. I didn't get to track two. Maybe I'll, I'll skip this for now and we'll return to that. But then of course that has also led us to step three. Yeah, or track three, which is the, the mental health economics. Uh, because we know that the, the one thing that the politicians will listen to is, is, is money. Yeah, and it's costs yeah. and it's, uh, it's savings. Uh, so we have known for quite a long time that uh, that unless we start speaking their language, then we're not going to get anywhere because mm -hmm. they're not going to speak our language. Yep. <laughs> they're not going to come to us mm -hmm. and say, "Oh well, uh, how about you tell us about the the the, the various uh, psychological <laughs> Multi outcomes, multinomial logistic regression." Yeah, yeah, that too, and all that, and uh, and it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So yeah. and and and. It is actually perhaps, I mean, we haven't done anything wrong or anything like that, but it, it is perhaps a little bit naive to only talk about uh, self-esteem or, uh, or whatever it might be, all sorts of well-being, even something like suicide and so forth, because these are all like humane terms, uh, human terms, uh, human outcomes, yeah, which again, they, <laughs> they don't understand these things, the politicians, they, they can if they want to, but generally they don't understand them. What they understand is the numbers. Yeah, that's always how it works. Uh, so, um, so we have to be able to talk to them in a language that they can understand, and that's mm -hmm. the numbers. That's the money. Uh, so, um, the, at the moment, we are working on, uh, on 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 mental health economics and and well-being economics, and that is really the next step, uh, I think, to uh, to 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 get anywhere. And uh, what we're doing at the moment, and I think uh, your your neighbor New Zealand has also uh, gone gone in that direction. Although I don't want to comment on their government form <laughs> or their or their current government at all, uh, but just to say that uh, there has been some, whether they're doing it well or or not so well, uh, they have been they have prioritized some uh, well-being in their in their policy, and the same is the case for for the UK. Um, and uh, what yeah. we're doing at the moment is that we are pretty much t adopting that method. It's, it's called the uh, subjective well-being valuation. It's, a, it's putting a, a value mm -hmm. on, on well-being. It's an approach to put a, an economic value on yeah. Yeah. well-being. So our, our project is called the, the Open Social Value Bank. And uh, that is going to be a, a value bank that has a, a value for well-being. And when I say well-being, I mean, in this case, uh, life satisfaction, single item, overall mm -hmm. life satisfaction mm -hmm. scale from mm -hmm. zero to 10. Mm -hmm. uh, how satisfied are you with your life as a whole nowadays? And then rating yeah. that from yeah. zero, very unsatisfied to 10, completely satisfied. And then um, yeah. this is an approach to, uh, to basically put a value on it. We use something called the discrete choice modeling, which is a very uh, common in economics. It's an approach to to value non-market goods. 
And in this case, what's different nice. is that we use life satisfaction to, uh, we use this discrete choice modeling to put a value, not just using uh, financial, for example, what you usually do is you just have like people, ask people what, what value they're going to put on this kind of commodity. And, and that would be mm -hmm. in, 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 in dollars or kroners or whatever it might be. Uh, in this case, we're using life satisfaction. Instead, they put a value on that, a life satisfaction value. And then we relate that also to what sort of uh, income uh, they would associate with various levels of life satisfaction. In that way, okay. we, can, we can arrive at an estimate for the, 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 the economic value of one life satisfaction point. Mm. When the literature is called a well-be, that's a, a yes. well-being adjusted life year. It's, a, it's one point yeah. of life satisfaction for one person over one year. And, uh, yeah. and that's really putting a, a, a value on it. And then the idea is to, to, to look at various social factors and figure out that, for example, if, you, if, you, uh, if a person goes from not being lonely to being lonely, uh, in theory, mm -hmm. uh, what, how much income would we have to compensate that person for in order to achieve yeah. the same amount of life satisfaction? And in that way, we can have not just a value for well-being, but also a value for what, for example, is loneliness uh, worth or, or, or the cost of it, the cost of it mm -hmm. or the value of, of, of escaping loneliness. Yeah. Um, so the, this, our project is uh, it's called the Open Social Value Bank, and it's going to be a value bank with a value for, for well-being, for mm -hmm. what is one, one point of well-being worth. And then it's also going to be a value bank with all sorts of social factors. Uh, really? Be yes, because these are the things that are usually not. Uh, they are so. Uh, there are no. There are no. There are no values for them in society yes, at the yes. moment. That's why that we never see any difference. Yeah, because there yes. are no values, and and yes. we need values for them. So in this case, we can have uh, a value bank with uh, economic values for all these various social factors. And that can be used in, in for social interventions and so forth because when someone wants to do a social intervention and these values don't exist then it's impossible to say well what's going to be the value of this social yeah. intervention yeah. and when you can't do that then you can't um, you can't persuade a policymaker or a decision maker uh, to invest in this social intervention because you can't show the numbers okay? yeah and and we have a, I, I can give it a perfect example of this so you know we we've, we mostly in our work we do um, well-being interventions sort of at the individual level so psychological skills training that sort of thing and we've developed um, you know spent a lot of time working on a on a on a program that's called the be well plan and if anyone's listening uh, interested you can listen back to the episode with you van Agteren, who who led that work and you know we can say we saw significant improvements in well-being significant reductions in distress that's meaningful but you know people don't really care the people that we're trying to influence that you're talking about ziggy um then we can go to like so it's statistically significant whatever the effect size we can talk about effect sizes but people sort of still don't get that um but you know fortunately for us i think someone's done some similar work uh to what you're mentioning with the warwick edinburgh tool out of the uk mm -hmm. and what they said was uh you know their analysis shows basically for for every point in um improvement in the warwick edinburgh score so someone's total well-being score if they took a measure before and after the program you know that's associated with x amount of dollars 
And so it's still a crude thing. And obviously we're not in the UK and all the money came from sort of the UK, um, you know, data. But basically what we could show was that our improvement after even correcting for the control group, the improvement in well-being from our program was akin to like $4,000, mm-hmm. meaning that a government would have to spend $4,000 to see that amount of improvement in someone's well-being. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously our program costs like, you know, $200 or $300 or something. Mm-hmm. So that, that, was, that makes it very easy for us to illustrate the case to, for the Excellent. value of this thing, which, which you know, Excellent. statistical analysis and effect sizes couldn't get us that clarity. Right. Excellent. So well, that's a really go. exciting project. Yes, it sure is. And you, and, and you can see exactly the, the difference because if you're also, uh, I mean, for example, with our tool, uh, it, it, it's going to be able to, I mean, there'll be a calculator to do sort of like a, what we call a social CBA, a social cost benefit analysis. So you have the traditional mm. cost benefit analysis where you just look at the budgetary um, advantages or, or benefits of an intervention. And that's, for example, the things, uh, the, the lower cost to the public purse, for example, if, if someone will, uh, will be become employed or so forth, then these are budgetary savings. Yeah. These are the things that usually go into just one of these, uh, traditional cost benefit analysis. But then, yeah. uh, what we're doing is, is cost uh, called a, a social cost benefit analysis. Or sometimes it's also called a, a well-being augmented cost benefit analysis and what you do there is that you have that traditional cost benefit analysis with these traditional budgetary um, effects and what and, and and so forth and then you have that extra element of the value of the generated well-being itself and when you take that into account then you can arrive at a completely different estimate than mm-hmm. what you had before mm-hmm. and for example with just a traditional CBA, you might arrive at the conclusion that, well, the, the cost of the intervention was higher than the benefits of it. But as soon yes. as you take the value of the well-being itself into account, then yes. the benefit will outweigh the cost. And that's a huge yes. game changer. And yeah, I mean, exactly. I want, yeah, is, oh, sorry, I, I was mm-hmm. going to say, like, I wonder, I wonder how far you can go with this, because I think about the downstream mm-hmm. impacts of having improved well-being, like you say, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, can can you factor in or can you model into this work the things that you've already shown us? So mm-hmm. the the financial benefit of less pain, of more physical activity, of less future mental illness, of less health care. Is, mm-hmm. that, is that going to go into that model or is that becoming too complicated? Or is it too far of a stretch? <laughs> I, I wouldn't say necessarily it's too far of a stretch. I, I wouldn't know exactly how to do it. Um, I would say that uh, first off, uh, um, because this this uh, this way of doing it is is really capturing uh, overall well-being and all of these things uh, that that you're talking about they will they will be related to overall well-being and what you want to okay. be careful with in these kind of models is also what what's called double counting you also yeah, want to be yeah. careful not to not to double count uh, so uh, at least for the moment I think it, uh, it this is the way to go forward and then I mean uh, we only just recently adopted this method. And it's it's quite new. Um, you can read about it from the from the UK Treasury Green Book, and there's a, there's mm. an appendix there called the supplementary that talks about it. And uh, and of course, I can I can send you some uh, some research as well. There's also this uh, this book from uh, Paul Friedrich and Christian Krekel about well-being yeah, and policy. Yes, exactly, and they talk about it as well. Uh, so, uh, but this is pretty much the 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 way to do it at the moment. 
and then I suppose as, as we we go along and we become uh, more and more secure in this way of doing it, then we can talk about is there something that we're missing out on, or are we are we are we getting everything that we need to include here? But for now, I mean, this this is uh, this is really the way to go. Um, but then, what is uh, what is really interesting about this is also that, uh, at least for our, the way we're going to do our tool, is that you can also do uh, one thing is that you do uh, an evaluation after you did an intervention because you have the numbers and then you get an economic estimate for it. But you can also do it in advance. So, for example, if you if you if you are planning an intervention and you're applying for funding for it, and you're planning this intervention, and you know that oh. you're gonna have a target audience that's gonna be something like I don't know, you're planning on maybe uh, 200, 300 people, and so forth. And then, based on whatever you've done before, you can make a prediction about the sort of, for example, mental health improvement you're gonna see there, or reduction in loneliness, or reduction in bullying, or whatever it might be. And when you do that, then you will have some kind of estimate of prediction. It might be, it not be completely correct because you can't see into the future, but it's based on whatever you've done before. And then you will have an estimate of uh, the, the, the increase in life satisfaction that will result from this program. And then you can have uh, an evaluation of the cost benefit of the program. And this is something that will be very, uh, very meaningful and practical, practical to send to a, a funder. Yeah, and say mm. here. So here's the the theory and everything from the program, and here's also the the predicted cost benefit of the program, and we're showing that it's going to have this and this value. Yeah, and this is something that will be Whoa. very good for them to have. Absolutely, wow, that's really incredible. So that's, um, I mean, it's it's almost sounds like a power calculation. So you know, if you're if you're about to do an intervention or something like that, you have mm -hmm. to um, demonstrate either to your funders or to your ethics board or whatever how many people you need to be involved in this program to make sure that you have enough people to sufficiently see um, statistically the result that you think you'll find. Um, right. They call that a power calculation, but this is almost like, this is this is that kind of preemptive calculation, but yes. for the cost benefit. Yes. How Suppose amazing is that? Economic power. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, economic and we are kind of like, uh, we're sort of, I mean, we are, we are, we are uh, anticipating that eventually uh, this stuff will be completely common practice and expected. We are envisioning mm. that, for example, uh, funders and decision makers they will ask for this. They will they will not just make it. Uh, yeah. It will not just be something that is preferred, but they will say you need to do this because we need to see the the value of it um, that that you're estimating or you're predicting. Uh, we need to know the worth in order for us to make a proper decision and informed decision. Great. And so your, the work that you're working on now, how will that, will that be generalizable outside of Denmark or will it be mostly, um, will it be well, contained within like the economics of Denmark? Yes. Well, I mean, we are, we, we are planning on, on making it, uh, for the Nordic countries. So that means Scandinavia and also like Iceland mm. and far islands, uh, because the culture here is, uh, is pretty similar. Uh, and then, Mm -hmm. Well, let's start there. <laughs> so, but uh, and then, of course, uh, we know it's already going on in, in England. Uh, we know they're doing something in New Zealand, uh, and then, uh, well, then for, for other countries, uh, who can say? Uh, but uh, but at least for now, uh, I I I think that well, we're doing it. We're doing it for Denmark, and then we are. I would say that this can 
these these estimates or these uh, values they can be transferred to other uh, Nordic countries. Um, Mm-hmm. And then uh, I suppose when we see how how if it's going to be as as popular as I think it will, then uh, that we can talk about it by then. And if I'm wrong, then uh, in, in five years you're going to ask me, and you, and and no one's going to know about it because everyone <laughs> <laughs> because it it wasn't a success. But uh, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. So, but let's start with Nordics. No, me neither. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And so I'm also I'm I'm pleased to hear that you're expanding it from more than just life satisfaction as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. Can you? And so. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay. Oh, can you elaborate or just what we're going to say? You mean? Oh, I mean, just you. You said that you were including other indicators in that evaluation. Um, so it's not just about putting a dollar value to a single point on life satisfaction. That you'll also be using it for other measures oh, yeah. as well, right? Absolutely. No, but uh, I mean, the point is is that it's going to be uh, for the benefit of the the social sector where it's entirely lacking. It's actually, mm. the, the, the funny thing is that the social sector is sort of like, um, uh, ironically behind, because even in like, uh, in other sectors, they have certain ways to assess the economic uh, consequences of something like, uh, like like various things that, that might affect your quality of life. For example, they have, uh, they have they have values or methods to assess, for example, if if you live close to an airport or live close to a wind turbine, and and it it has a certain amount of decibel, it, it, it's it's noisy, and they have a, a value of like how how do they, for example, need to compensate you for if they are building something like that close to you or something like that. So even in these sectors, they have these uh, these ways to incorporate this, but in the social sector, this is almost mm. uh, entirely. Uh, it's it's really at the moment, it's really just sort of like a, a feel the wind where it's going, and then you they, they put a lot of money into all sorts of interventions that they have no idea if they're effective and uh, and if they're worth the yeah. the money. So uh, that's really what we're trying to change. Mm. So it's definitely not just. I mean, of course, that's a huge thing itself to put a a value on well-being but then it also has to be associated with all the different social changes that we want to that 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 all sorts of groups in society and foundations and this and that they they are trying to improve yeah because of course a society is a is a is a multi system of uh, all sorts of various things that can uh, harm your mental health in in various ways so all these different factors have to have to be taken care of and we always have these mm. people doing that but they're lacking the, the economic method to be able to 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 deal with it properly um so and and they're lacking this so when they don't have it then they're not they might not achieve the success that they actually deserve for all the work they're doing because they're doing fantastic work in trying to mm. improve society in these various ways but but it's sort of like it's almost like an unfair advantage yeah so we're trying to correct that by improving uh, the state by, uh, by by providing these social values, so it's sort of easy to work with and so forth, uh, so people can actually use them in whatever they're doing. If they're working with uh, young people, adolescents, or older people, elderly, or people that are in crime uh, and so forth, whatever it might be, whatever social problem you're talking about, there has to be a value for it that people can use, so they mm-hmm. can get that help a helpful tool for them to be able to get further that's really what we are hoping to achieve with this amazing and just as like just for context i guess how um 
resource intensive is this project? Because like you say, it's like it's really exciting. The implications are potentially huge. Um, but I can imagine mm-hmm. it's not like super resource intensive. I don't know. what. Would... I mean, uh, we are a, a team. Uh, we are a team of, of four different organizations. Uh, I represent University of Copenhagen. And then there's mm-hmm. uh, Rambel, that's a consulting uh, company in Denmark uh, and also internationally. Uh, then we have uh, an, an association, an NGO called the Economists Without Borders. And then we have oh, cool. uh, a, a, a digital company, a, a company that, that specializes in measuring uh, social effects and assessing the economic benefits of it called called Impactly. And so so we are these four, four, uh, four organizations that have partnered in this project and uh, and we have received a, 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 a good sum of money, uh, not a huge sum of money, but a good sum of money to, uh, to, to work with this. And I wouldn't say that this is a, 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 a I would say it's relatively low on resource demand. Um, so, uh, mm. so no, I wouldn't say that it's something uh, extraordinary in, in that sense. It's, yeah. just, it's just new, that's all. I mean, but the the benefit, the advantage for us is that we're not we're not inventing this ourselves. Yeah, the the method is mm. already there, so we're lucky in that way because we don't have to come out and persuade someone. Uh, of course, there will always be some there there will be some critics, and it's not a perfect model either. There will be some some limitations. It has plenty of limitations, um, but but the thing is that what they're using in the system at the moment has more limitations than this. So yeah. <laughs> it's still a, a better deal. Uh, but either way, it's it's uh, it's something that is already accepted and used by the UK Treasury. Uh, so it's it's the, the the documentation is already there. We're just adopting it and mm. and putting it in the in the Danish context. Yeah, wow. Yeah, just just so exciting. That's that's great. Um, yeah. What uh, what's it been like to work with those various partners? Because you know, researchers sometimes I think speak a particular language. Has it has it kind of worked yes. to be with different sort of corporate groups? Uh, yes, I would say so. It's a it's a it's a good experience. I would say that this, I would say it's necessary with these types of uh, partnerships, and uh, it's, it's also something mm-hmm. that uh, both uh, my uh, my boss and some of my colleagues have uh, have been also very uh, uh, focused on 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 talking about in their research, and that is that, that these sort of like intersectoral partnerships are really necessary in order to 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 facilitate meaningful change in society why because society is composed of these different groups these different sectors and and mental health problems they exist in all of them and through all of them it's a mental health happens all through society where you where you where you go to school where you go to work where you uh, where you take your bus where you go to park where you where you where you go to a park where you <laughs> whatever it might be uh, so so you really need to have people from these various sectors to be able to approach the problem from their different perspective and then mm-hmm meet with them and collaborate with them to to tackle the issue. So mm-hmm. I can only see the world from my research chair, but I need other people who understand the world in, in different ways, because there's certain things that I just, I don't understand. It's a, it's a language that I don't speak. Yeah, some people, they just understand this whole uh, 
um, the, the way that, for example, various NGOs work. I have no idea about that stuff. I know nothing about how NGOs work and how they communicate together or, or how they are uh, sort of like uh, raising money for whatever they're doing and this and that. I, I have no idea. Uh, so, but someone has to know about it in order to reach the most people. So because of that, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really necessary, this kind of stuff. And then the same goes, for example, also for the consulting companies and they, they know the whole private sector. They speak their language. So, so yeah. in order to reach other uh, companies, and for example, this is especially uh, relevant when we talk about, for example, workplace well-being, and also this tool to be used in, 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 the, in the workplace context, then it's good to have a consulting company in our partnership that, can, that really knows to speak the language to other CEOs or whatever it might be, uh, to order it, it, so, so that we can actually mm, make the case for why this is important, but in their language, not in my language, not in my research language, but in their language. Yeah, they have to have it in a, in a language that they can understand. Yeah, no, I, 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 um, it speaks to that idea. I think that like the traditional idea of a researcher really doesn't exist anymore, and and maybe can't exist anymore. And and you strike me as someone who's definitely on the, um, on the edge of of working out sort of modern ways of being an effective researcher. Um, so so I mean, congratulations. That just sounds like such a cool project. So. You know, so you sort of, okay, so you said you've got three streams. The first stream is around the importance of higher well-being. So, you, you know, you've like got a lot of studies that are taking that off. Now, um, we've just talked about the sort of the economic return from higher well-being. So you've kind of, I guess, to really sort of simplify it, you're saying well-being is a very important thing for people to have. And number two is that there you will eventually find all these um, economic benefits of of well-being um then the third is how do we actually build well-being what yeah. are the factors what are the factors associated with high well-being am i Very good. Uh, am well, i understanding I mean, that correctly yeah sort of like or let's say it like like this uh, we are working with one particular model that is of course not mm -hmm. the whole solution and that is uh, mm -hmm. there's no one perfect answer that addresses everything but we're work, working mm -hmm. with one particular model that is very close to my heart and that is also uh, even closer to you because it's the Act Long Commit. Yes, it's the yes. ABC of Mental Health. Yes. And uh, we love it. And uh, the, the, the Act Long Commit is just sort of like, a, it's a little bit of magic, honestly. Um, I, uh, when I first came to, uh, when I was first doing my PhD, I was specializing in social relationships. Uh -huh. And then later, when I came to Denmark, then uh, they had adopted the the Act Alone Commit for Denmark, and uh, and I quickly realized that my entire specialization was focused on the on the belong part. Yeah, yeah. And then of course there was the the Act and the Commit. Yeah, and um, can I just pause you for one sec? So the Act Belong Commit. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Just tell us maybe a little bit about what it actually. It's a public health campaign, right? Yeah, that's correct. Or that's it's, correct. Yeah. And uh, well, it's um, it's really uh, it's 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 three principles or three behavioral domains, uh, three uh, three three principles uh, that that we know through decades of research that these these principles are incredibly important to mental health. They are completely central to mental health. Yeah, and the first one is is act or or keep active. Yeah. 
it's uh, keeping active in various ways. Uh, so it's like it's, it's physical activity, but it's not just physical activity. It's also keeping mentally active. So mm -hmm. something that requires your concentration or something that inspires you some, some, in various ways. Uh, and it's also keeping socially active and spiritually active, uh, not necessarily religious. It can be religious and, uh, and, and lots of people are religious and that has, we know that that has benefits. Um, but it can also be spiritual in your own way. And it can also be, well, whatever you, some people, they have a much looser definition of spirituality and it can also be just something like that gives you peace. Uh, for example, mm -hmm. taking, using time in nature or, uh, something that did just, just reflection or whatever it might be. So keeping active in various ways. And we know that, uh, that, that variation is key. It's good to keep active in various ways, not just one thing. Mm. It, you can also do that and that will still benefit you, but variation is good. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, there's the belong. Belong means that you you stay uh, connected with close social relationships um, and also that you uh, that you engage with the, uh, socially with the, in your community and whatever it might be. And then, of course, you have the, the commit and commit means to to commit to something that is meaningful. Uh, so that could be either like a personal challenge. It could be like learning a language, an instrument, playing an instrument. And it could be also be something like, a, like for example, um, dedicating yourself to a, a, a meaningful course, whatever it might be. Something that is, something that is, that you find meaningful, uh, something that inspires you, something that you could uh, contribute to. Uh, and of course, uh, Yes, that, that could be a host of things. Yeah. So, um, and uh, and what we usually say is that it's not really, we're not telling people what to do. What, what we're telling people mm -hmm. is that what's important is that it feels meaningful to the individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's mm -hmm. what it really comes down to. So uh, these are the three act alone commit principles. And then yes, it's a campaign, but it's also it's also more than a campaign. So yes, on the one hand, it's a campaign to, to inform uh, and raise awareness among the, the general public about what they can do themselves to strengthen their mental health. And if you notice, everything is on the positive. It's not talking about any negative things. Yeah? And that's not because the people are not allowed to talk about negative things yeah. in terms of mental yeah. health. They are, of course, allowed to do that. And, so, and it can be helpful to do that as well. But sometimes what happens is that all the focus is on the negative things, but it's not providing any tools to actually get where you want to get. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit like uh, uh, you can imagine like a, a company uh, that wants to grow, but it's only talking about bankruptcy. And <laughs> so yeah, where are you going to yeah, get if yeah, you only yeah, talk about nice. and focus on bankruptcy, you're going to go bankrupt. Yeah. But you have <laughs> to focus on where you want to get. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you get there? And the other thing is that it's also much less heavy. It's 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 lighter to talk about something positive, something you can do. And these are these principles are something that pertains to every single human being on this nation and yeah. on this on this earth. Yeah, these are just general things. No one is excluded. Uh, this is something that everyone can do to some degree uh, and uh, and they can find a way to implement it in their own life. Yes. So. Um, so so but but. So it's that it's a campaign, but it's also what we have experienced because this is the, the ABCs of mental health in Denmark is a is a collaboration between many different municipalities and organizations and NGOs in Denmark, and and they all they all um, they all use this campaign and they are 
raising awareness about the ABCs in their own respective communities and settings and to their own different target groups is basically what you call a, a social franchising approach mm. where we have like this basic elements of this model but then each of these partners they work at sort of like a franchise where they take it in and then they use it in their own setting in their own way in a way that makes sense to their personal audience and their 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 goals and so forth so and what 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 we have experienced from this is because that otherwise without something like this then mental health becomes a very difficult thing to work with uh, and we're talking about community organizations and municipalities. We're not talking about psychologists. We're not talking about mm. uh, people in the psychiatry. I mean, they can use it too, and we would like them to do that. But, but we're talking about people that are not otherwise trained to work in mental health. So how do you get someone who's not trained to work in mental health to work with mental health? Well, you have to give them a framework to work with that. And what we have done is, 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 or what the ABC, what the Act on Commit does, is it gives them a, a three, three things that they can, that they can focus on, where, because if you if you ask someone, otherwise, what is mental health, in in a room full of people, one will say, well, yeah. it's about this, it's about suicide. Another one will say something completely different, it's about eating disorders. Someone else will say, well, it's about how you grew up. Uh, so people will just say completely different things. So this one, what it does, it gives like a, a simple framework with three general principles about how people can actually work with mental yeah. health promotion. Yeah. It doesn't mean yeah. that none of this other stuff doesn't matter because it certainly does, it's very important, but it gives them like three practical things to work with where they can say, okay, so this is what we're talking about when talking mental health promotion. Yeah? Mm -hmm. We're not talking treatment, we're not talking clinical treatment or whatever it might be. We're talking about how to do mental health promotion in your local respective community or whatever. And then you have this framework where people say, okay, this is about something about how to, how to get, how to get people, people to, to get active and, and keep active in, in various ways. It's about their social connections. And it's about uh, a little bit something that's meaningful. It doesn't have to be a lot, but just a little something that gives you a sense of meaning in your mm -hmm. daily life. And that's it. Yeah, cool. Uh, that's and so. Is this like an is this an ongoing thing, the ABC, or is it a discrete yes. like? Is it within a certain month or or something like that? Well, that's that's. It, it depends on what you mean by that. The thing is that the, the, the ABC it's, it's a partnership. So we of course then we have like we have like four meetings in a year where all the partners come together and and discuss mm -hmm. uh, various topics and and they. Uh, and they and and this is also like like we talked about before this is also an intersectoral sort of thing because you have yeah. all these different yeah. partners it's a, it's a quite smart way to actually get people that like professionals together to uh, to 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 sort of go into dialogue about how do we do this and sometimes they learn from each other because someone has done something mm -hmm. in some way and then they're like oh okay you did it like this well maybe we could do something similar but in this way and then they find yeah. new ways of doing things all the time and that's actually really smart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I guess my question is more like, what does it sort of look like? You know, if you you said there's like different muni municipalities, so I imagine maybe there's like a library that's running this campaign. Like what would it look like in a library or, or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's completely different for all the different partners. And it also comes down to, okay. for example, with, with the municipalities, then there will be like an ABC coordinator in in all of these municipalities oh, really but 
Yes. And but but each uh, but each municipality has their they have their own priorities because they are also they are elected yeah they are, they are elected officials yep. in these municipalities mm -hmm. so they have certain things that they prioritize more or less someone ha will have a particular focus on on maybe uh, homeless people some will have a particular mm -hmm. focus on uh, on the elderly uh, someone have uh, some will have another focus on this and that so it also depends on whatever that they prioritize in these in wow. in, in their municipalities and then of course the same is with the NGOs some of these they focus on uh, volunteering like the Red Cross and uh, some they focus on uh, on sports the sports associations some they uh, they are the scouts and guides the scouts and guides yeah and they focus on their uh, target audience so but then they 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 use the program uh, the our materials and they use them in their own setting to sort of reach other people and for example I mean let's take the let's take the sports associations they are one of our partners and you ask how does it look like well for example in their particular case well the sports associations well they're, they're already doing one thing really well which is to keep active yeah they their, their target group they are part of sports because they want to keep active and they're doing that in a in an in exercise in sports and physical activity so but then there are two more principles and these are also equally important uh belongingness and also uh something meaningful uh something to commit to so what they've been focusing on is that how do they how do you how do you work on turning up these two other principles these two other factors apart from just activity and uh, i don't know if you ever maybe you had these experiences yourself but you can imagine that if, uh, let's say you started up in a in a in a, in a group uh doing some kind of a I don't know uh, what's it called uh, this uh, this new thing where you do all the all the different kinds of exercise uh, mm, like CrossFit you have a CrossFit very good thank you exactly it, it's just an example but let's say you you joined a, a CrossFit uh, group you feel like uh, you want to go and and do exercise and and you join this group and then you imagine you go in there um, but uh, when you come in there each one people already know each other and they are sort of talking to each other uh, and, and there's just one who says hello that's it and uh, and then maybe there's a facilitator who also says uh, hi and come in and uh, we'll start in a minute and then everyone is pretty much talking to the people that they know yeah no one is really paying much attention to you um, no one is uh, is asking your name or where you're from yeah then you start to do the exercise and at the end you stretch out and whatever and then the same people talk to each other and no one is really talking to you much yeah and then you leave from there and maybe it was an all right exercise but you leave from there sort of like with an empty feeling yeah. because no one saw you no one heard you uh, you didn't really feel received at all and what is the likelihood that you're going to return to a group like that maybe some people will but I think most people they will not really be they will not find it particularly appealing to go back and it's, it's mm -hmm. difficult enough as it is to to motivate yourself to go and do exercise so what they've been focusing on is how do we create the, the good welcome for a person to have sort of like a nice. model for how to do it. And some of the things they're talking about is, for example, to have one person who's always responsible for greeting new people and getting them in and just ask them a few questions, because this is just incredibly important for us humans to just be seen and heard. Just ask them, who are you? Ask your name and have a little chat with them about where they're from or whatever it might be and make sure that you have that conversation with them 
at some point in time during that 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 workout it might not be right in the beginning because they might be late or whatever it might be but at some point in time just so they feel hurt and another thing they can do for example is to make sure to switch people up yeah so actually to tell people to go up go out in different groups and make sure they do that so that people get get mixed a little bit because that's the way you make you make a connection yeah mm. by getting that people, variation by mixing people up exactly yes so and this has made tremendous difference for them because this is really really one thing is that because in prevention and so forth we always talk about that we, yeah we need to get more and more people into doing exercise but one thing is getting them to to show up and do exercise but how about making sure that they also stay there this mm-hmm. is equally important otherwise it doesn't really matter if they if they go there once and then they can never come back so is really important so so this is one way that they have used the the the, the commit uh to get this into the organization and work with sort of training up these other factors in there yeah cool i mean how um i didn't realize how flexible it was you know that this could be mm-hmm. this is really like a set of general principles that could be applied in such a diversity of ways and maybe crossfit mm-hmm. is so popular because it kind of already aligns to some of those the 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 principles of um act belong commit um i did join yeah, a crossfit gym maybe. for a while this was just, I, I really this was just it, an yeah. example yeah i mean it yeah, could yeah, be yeah, anything yeah. No, really. I think, it really could be anything yeah no but i think they were an but example I mean, if, that, uh, that probably Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, but if you're, if I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm I love the Ectolon commit. It's it's fantastic. It's somewhat magical, and uh, I uh, I also encourage you if if you want to know more about it or you want to do another interview, then uh, I mean, you have Rob Donovan in Australia, uh, who who was the the founder of this program, yeah. and uh, right. I think he'd be more than happy to talk to you. And uh, there's quite a lot to to learn there. He's an uh, an older gentleman, but he's uh, and and uh, and he's uh, he knows quite a bit. He's he actually came from uh, from marketing, I think, and used to. Okay. And then he worked with uh, sort of reducing alcohol uh, intake and so forth. And then somehow, at some point, they arrived at having to do a a mental health promotion framework. So I don't remember the whole story, but it's quite interesting. And also in terms of how they actually arrived cool. at the ABC principles and so forth. Nice. Yeah, I, it was funny because we we're doing um, some work on a campaign in a different Australian state. And I was looking around and so many people recommended look into this thing, ABC. I hadn't really heard of it because it's not, you know, been my particular mm-hmm. focus. Um, right. And then I'm reading these papers, reading the evaluation papers like, oh, there's a co-author there called Santini. Like, surely, surely, like, surely not. And there's like, oh, wait a minute, Z Santini. Oh, hang on. Tell me this is Ziggy. And, you know, it's just such a, it's funny how it's such a big world, but it's also such a small world in some ways. And um, I would recommend to the audience, I'll put it, I'll put it in the show notes. Like there's that, there's a really nice paper. I think it might've, it was, I think yourself and, and maybe um, uh, Rob, I, I don't know who the co-author was, but it was kind of like mm-hmm. 21 reasons why you should do the ABC. That's right. Yes. Uh, I can't remember if it was 21 reason, maybe, maybe not, but I think that was a really yeah, clear, that correct. was a really clear paper of, um, you know, do this thing basically I'm glad you read thing. it it's so valuable yeah no Very absolutely good. and I think um, it yeah like I say it's just again like so much of your work Ziggy, it's just really clear like the benefit is obvious um, it's just for the next step of someone to pick it up and, and, and to move with it so just quickly how was it to work uh, with Australians uh, well I, I love Australians 
Yeah. And uh, I, I, I mean, uh, Australia and New Zealand, I don't know how you feel about like putting, being put in, in the same group with New Zealanders. How, is there any uh, sort of like the whole... Uh, Uh, Aussies and Kiwis. Uh, is there any? There's uh, a. There's. I think there's a little bit of rivalry, but I think we're generally mm-hmm. pretty happy with each other. Today is actually a day that's called Anzac Day, which is um, right, sort of a celebration right. of our our efforts together right. in war. So today's actually like a right, unification right. day. Um, oh, very good. Just that's just a yeah. funny. Well, I mean, funny side note. But yeah. uh, initially, I I did my my bachelor's degree at the at, at in Wellington in New Zealand at the Victoria University. Oh, really? University. So uh, I have oh. been uh, down that way. Is that how you know Paul um, Joe's? Yes. Yeah, gotcha. I've seen that you guys have written some stuff together as well, and it's like, how the hell do these two know each other? Gotcha. Yeah, very <laughs> That's cool. Very good. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was my uh, sort of like a, a mentor for me when I was like really green in the beginning. But uh, he uh, oh amazing. He, he seems like an, in, uh, a legend. Oh yeah, he is. He's he's fantastic, and uh, he he told me about uh, mediation and moderation, and of course he's uh, he's also he's he's uh, an, old, an older gentleman, an American, and uh, I remember I I met him in the elevator uh, once going up in the Institute of Psychology at uh, at, at Victoria University, and uh, and I, I said to him, uh, you know, I, this lecture you had on uh, on uh, on moderation that was uh, that was really interesting. I I I really found that. Uh, inspiring and he said uh, yes you know it's a uh, moderation is is uh, it's the answer to the whole world's problems he said and then uh, and then we went up the elevator and i was standing there you know with that a little bit of an awkward silence when you're in the elevator and i didn't we didn't know each other so well and then he turned around and he said to me i was just kidding it's half of the world's problems because the other <laughs> half is mediation <laughs> nice It's a bit of a dry sense of humor, but uh, but uh, <laughs> hilarious, very funny, funny character. So, but he's fantastic. He's a, he's a very good, uh, very good uh, scientist, and uh, I, I still collaborate with him to this day. So, yeah, I mean, I saw that you guys published in the Lancet the other, like, just recently, I think. Oh yeah, that one, right? Yes, pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> just you know, just like that's so easy to publish. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Well, you're not too bad yourself with the whole uh, with the. The, the nature oh yeah we're trying we're trying um yeah, no have, that's cool did, so mm-hmm. yeah well, that's true yeah. that's true um also been projected to plenty of places too but um no that's yeah. that's that's awesome ziggy so i really appreciated your time um the one thing i promised that we would go into now was uh, the dual continuum mm. model but before we go there is there right. anything else you wanted to cover around um your work or no i think we We, we covered it uh, pretty much. I mean, it's uh, it's. I mean, you can go on for ages, uh, and uh, we'll never get to the bottom of it uh, because it's just a, an unending um, uh, thing that that needs to be explored and experimented with and uh, delved into. So uh, we're not going to reach the end anyway. So I think this sufficed for now. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Cool. Um. And it, and just one side note of just like that you just described a heap of work that you're doing. Uh, how are you going like time pressure wise sounds like you got a lot on your plate uh yeah well i mean uh, i i try to manage <laughs> so uh it's uh it's um i it's it's really hard to say at, at the moment it's it's okay yeah and uh, 
but uh, I mean, um, it's I, I'm working on three different projects, but uh, but they they don't require full time uh, dedication as as far as I can tell. I hope so, <laughs> otherwise I'm gonna have problems later on. But uh, but at, at the moment okay. at least uh, they it seems like it's working out all right. I mean I've been I, I suppose I've been kind of an, a, a workaholic for the past uh, five six seven eight years and and at least that's what my wife tells me so uh so so i'm kind of used to you know working over time so uh yeah i'm i'm, I'm pretty i'm generally qu quite productive so I, I manage okay but but of course i i have limits too and uh, and sometimes things will they just have to wait and that's it although i don't i just don't like it that's the thing i don't, I don't like for things to wait i prefer to get them out of the way but sometimes uh, nature has to decide so it's not up to me so. yeah yeah no understood all right cool so i'll uh, stop uh stop postponing so jewel continue so let, right. let's hear it basically so i think you uh i think you i was really excited i think when i saw your linkedin comment because um well, I, I just love the way that you put your criticism where you, you kind of said like, yeah, I see where you're coming from. I disagree. Um, so let, let's talk about it. You know, this is the, this yeah. is the conversation that I think doesn't really, I, I don't get the sense that it really happens that people can have like this kind of free conversation. Um, so, so mm. let's, let's hear it. Excellent. Well, I mean, I can start by just giving you a little bit of historical, uh, sort of, uh, uh, yeah, historical, uh, understanding but for me at least uh, I, I mean i i came into the whole well-being field uh pretty much by like, like we talked about like it, it, it wasn't planned and then uh oh, mm. i guess just like everyone else i had to sort of learn how it worked from from scratch and eventually of course i i i i learned about actually my 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 boss uh she she had written a, a book in, in in Denmark where she it was about mental health promotion and she also covered these two models the the single continuum and the dual continuum and they, and I remember reading a little bit about those and also in other publications and and my first uh, intuition which I think most people do uh, is was to to sort of try to figure out well which one is correct. <laughs> yeah, because we have this sort of like binary approach and we're thinking, well, if, if one is right, then the other one must be wrong. And I would say just from the, the set out, I, I believe that these two models are both correct. Mm -hmm. that none of them are wrong. They both reflect reality, just but they show reality in a different way. Yeah. So before I tell you that, no, Matt, you're wrong and <laughs> <laughs> your support for the dual continuum model is wrong. I'm not going to say that, and that would also be incorrect. It's it's correct, yeah, but it it really depends on what we're talking about mm -hmm. and how it's being used. Yes, so the the way I see it is that the dual continuum model is is helpful, especially when we're talking about uh, that the one continuum is is of negative mental health is it's useful especially when we're talking about that as disorders or clinical diagnoses yeah uh, also because we know that i mean a person can have a, a clinical 
diagnosis over a longer time it's it's, it's going to be in a journal somewhere and and if you look at it at a later time then that person is still going to have that diagnosis mm -hmm. but a lot of things can happen in between mm -hmm. yeah and that's why it makes a, a very big difference that that a person can have of course varying levels of well-being over that time where this person has a mental disorder mm -hmm. and the same would go for a person who does not have a diagnosed mental disorder that their their mental well-being can also vary and they might when their well-being is going down uh, there would come a time when they would qualify perhaps for a mental disorder like mm -hmm. depression for example yeah but they aren't detected they don't have an official diagnosis but they're going to be there somewhere and then of course conversely uh, when a person has a diagnosis, but their well-being goes up, well, that's what we call recovery. Yeah, that's when a person is doing better. Yeah, yeah? but then this is not, of course, this is not the the, the whole story. Uh, and uh, I would say that it also depends on type uh, types of diagnosis that we're yes. talking about. Yes, it does. Uh, where the where both of these models are going to be more or less relevant. Okay. Um, so about the the single continuum model. Mm -hmm. I tend to like this for its simplicity mm -hmm. okay? because overall um, mental disorder is defined as, 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 uh, as not feeling well and not being able to function well in your daily life. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And mental well-being is is the opposite mm -hmm. yeah it's a it's it's feeling good and functioning well in your daily life it's mm -hmm. basically the opposite and then of course it comes down to also what we're talking about when not feeling bad uh, and and not functioning uh no not feeling good and not functioning well mm -hmm. in your daily life uh and and the, the the correlation between those two is is gonna differ but either way no matter what we we do i think if you are having an active mental disorder no, no matter what it is and you're very uh, uh that, that you have very low functioning you can you can't live your life properly because of it then that's gonna you're gonna have you're not gonna feel good and that is gonna be very strongly negatively negatively related to to mental well-being yeah mm -hmm. and and one of the the reasons that I believe that 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 the the single continuum model reflects it quite well is that if you when you assess these at the same time, yeah, they will be very strongly negatively correlated. And I would say that the the the, the negative correlation is so strong that that would speak against to continue mm -hmm. because it's simply too strongly correlated. I think we would. We would have to have something that is actually quite poorly correlated to be able to talk about two different continua. Um, and then, of course, if it's some disorders, they might be less negatively correlated yeah. than others. I think something like depression will be very strongly negatively yes. correlated with mental well-being. Then you might have other things, something like, I don't know how symptoms of schizophrenia, for example, would be correlated mental well-being i have no idea and uh, there's also other things that i like it let's take something like autism i don't know how but but uh, but i'm in my opinion i'm not even sure we should call uh, autism a, a proper mental disorder because 
that is really just, you know, more recently people have started calling it like neurodivergent. Yeah. Um, so it's just because they think differently and they react to the world in a different way, but it's not, it's not really, it's not illness. It's just mm -hmm. different. Yeah. So it, it also comes down to what sort of mental health problems we're talking about, uh, the degree of correlation. But in general, I would say that just because of the way that they had defined mental illness is functioning poorly and feeling bad, that is in general, the opposite from feeling good yep. and functioning well. Yep. And then sometimes the, the criticism I have received with the single continuum model, the, the main criticism I received with this model is almost always the same. It's that some people, they react to it because they find it uh, discriminating or they yeah. find it uh, stigmatizing. Yeah. yeah. And I can sort of understand that, but what, what people have to remember about the single continuum is, is like it's a, it's a general model of where we would where people would usually be located and then in this low end you might write uh, you might you might say that it's low in this low end there, there you usually would have people with mental disorder uh, we don't actually mean that people have to be there it's not in order to put yes. people in a box and say well mental disorder people with mental disorders they are there always and they that's fixed no but they will tend to be there that is 100%. Mm -hmm. yeah, they will tend to be there. If someone mm -hmm. has, and, and I, I could see that with our research as well, quite clearly, but people that have low well-being, well, they will all also tend to qualify for a depression. They will tend to be there, almost always, if it's mm -hmm. an active depression. If it's a diagnosed depression that they let, let it recover from, well, of course, then they're not going to be there, right? And that's mm -hmm. also my point because sometimes I have shown this uh, single continuum model in my presentations. And what I have done is I've just changed the wording. So instead of writing <laughs> just in that low, low part, say mental disorder, then I write, well, mental disorders tend to be here, but they can be yeah. other places because they can. And then we're actually talking dual continuum model in a, some way, but it's dual continuum model in the single continuum model. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. and that's why that they both have a, a part of the truth. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool, Ziggy. That's oh, sorry, you had more. I I think that was uh, that was it. What do you think? Yeah, <laughs> no, how, I mean that's how look, I see it. The, yeah, look, I I completely agree with uh, basically everything that you said, um, which is a shame. I thought you were going to start calling me names and telling me how dumb I was, but yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> that's okay uh trust me i'm happy this way um i think you you nailed that you hit the nail on the head which was like the dual continuer is tr this is actually something like you said it's something i've been wanting to write for ages but just haven't had the time or the chance but the dual continuer is true under certain circumstances and the single continuer is true under certain circumstances and those circumstances include the way you're assessing mental illness or mental health mm -hmm. The way you're defining each of those two concepts, um, the type of mental illness that you're talking about, for sure, um, and then whether you're thinking at the population or at the individual level. And I think that, um, you know, the single continuum. I think it was made probably most famous by Huppert, uh, Felicia Huppert, in that 2005 paper that she wrote. You know, you always see that sort of the population curve of mental health. Mm -hmm. she, you know, that's at a population level. That's I think how she meant it. And I think that's probably how you mean it as well. When you said, you know, people tend to be here. I, I completely agree. I think everyone would agree with that, even even Corey Keyes. 
Um, but it's when you go to the individual level, I think, where you see more variance in people's kind of like position along the mm -hmm. continuum. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, com I completely, I'm with you. Oh, the other variation is probably the sort of the other factor that comes in is, is probably also um, the time frame that you're, that you're factoring in, which I think you sort of already touched on already. If you're saying, you know, in the mm -hmm. last in the last minute, how happy were you and how sad were you? Or in the last week, how happy or sad? The more time that you allow into that measurement, um, the more potential for, for overlap there could be. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would say that the, I, uh, I, I, also, I also use sometimes the dual continuum model in my presentations. When I'm, when I'm presenting about how we, how we can understand mental health, I do actually use it and, uh, and I remember that they also Hubbard and Wilkington or something like that in 2003, they had a publication on the, the, the independence between positive and, and yeah. negative mental health. And they, and they sort of like, uh, they, they showed like a percentage because when you do like a sort of binary um, separation and uh, or, or binary categorization of both the negative and the positive, um, then you could see, I think that the, that most people they fit into where we would expect them. So what, what we intuitively yeah. would expect is that when you have low mental well-being, then you have high symptoms of something. And when you have high mental well-being, then you have low symptoms of something. Yeah. And they showed that about 30% uh, um, they were either in that group or another 30% was in that group. Yeah. But then the, what they also showed was that for the remaining, like about 15% was in that third group where we wouldn't expect them that had high well-being and low symptoms or 15% yeah. was in that other group that we, where we wouldn't expect them. Yeah. Uh, low well-being and high symptoms, I think. And, uh, and so, so, and I show that in a, in a, in a graph just to sort of explain people how we can, how some people, how mental health can vary for people and we, they wouldn't always be where we would expect them. And in that way, it's quite useful. Uh, but apart from that, I would just say that, that maybe my own main reasons that I'm not too crazy about the dual continuum model is because I just find it actually, I find it a little bit confusing. I think it's just, it's not so easy to understand. And that's why I, I sort of prefer the single continuum because mm. it's, it, I find it a lot more straightforward. I find it more simple and intuitive as a general model, but the other one is useful too, but I just have a preference for something that is more uh, simple and intuitive. Uh, that people can more easily and quickly understand. Yeah, look, I, I see where you're coming from. That's probably the bit I will disagree on, I guess, respectfully, obviously, mm -hmm. is that um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure that simplicity is the virtuous um, ideal when we're communicating scientific, like, you know, scientific ideas. I understand, mm -hmm. of course, that it can't be too complicated. Um, so, I, you know, I get what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Probably depends, you know, maybe in the presentations I give, the dual continuum model gets five minutes of the talk. Whereas, you know, for someone like yourself, you include it and maybe it gets one minute of the talk. So I understand there's a difference there too. Um, mm -hmm. What was I going to say? The, the other side that I just wanted to raise as well, which would be interesting if you have um, data on this, I, I'm sure that you do, is, you know, we've kind of talked about the relationship between illness and health at the cross-sectional level. But I think watching those two continua um, interact differently longitudinally mm -hmm. or in relation mm -hmm. to third variables i think that's where the dual continua um becomes most relevant that's kind of that was kind of my argument in that commentary article that you know if if you're looking at a third variable 
um, including both well-being and distress separately can allow like more nuance in your understanding of that third variable or in in response to some stimulus or um, you know some intervention over time um, so mm-hmm. that that's that, that's probably what I would say from my perspective which is more of an individual focus perspective sways me toward the dual continua and of course well I guess to summarize it all as well that I can see that the bipolar model or the single continuum model it it's subsumed within the dual continuum model so in that way i mm-hmm. see that you know if i have one model that fits within the other i rather that one because then i kind of get the best of both worlds yeah cool cool yes. all right well thank I you very it, much it makes sense it makes good sense all right great great so no uh no uh online uh abuse today so that's good um Not all right today. so thank you so much <laughs> all right cool oh, maybe next time thank you so much yeah. Ziggy. this has been really <laughs> this has been really fun so um yeah really appreciate it keep up this amazing work i'm really going to keep clearly i keep pretty close tabs on the work that you're doing turns out uh and yeah. I, because i'm yep just really impressed and just so great to have um someone in the world doing the work that you're doing so really appreciate it thank you Thanks for listening. All right. No problems. All right. A big thank you to Ziggy Santini. Um, I think you can, you will agree with me that uh, Ziggy and his team are just onto some powerful stuff and just useful for the rest of the world. I think that um, what's going on over there is just, um, you know, they're going to show the world how it's done, basically. And I'm completely envious that they've got the setup that they have in Copenhagen. And, and hopefully we can do something like that in Australia. So thanks for listening. And um, remember to share this with one other person who needs to hear the message or Ziggy's message. Um, other than that, thank you so much and see you next week.